Hello again. It's me again. Good to see you guys. Um, I will just start by praying for us. Uh, we'll pray again. So let's bow our head and let's join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you that uh, we're here this morning. We thank you that we can come to you and come to your word now. And we pray that your spirit will open our hearts and help us to listen to what you have to say to us today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. In February the 22nd, 2011, a large earthquake struck the city of Christchurch. This earthquake was big, but it was an aftershock of an even bigger earthquake in Canterbury the year before, in September 2010. But this earthquake was far more damaging because the epicenter was so much closer to the city, to the CBD, and was much shallower, and it caused far, far more damage, far more extensive damage. On that day, 185 people lost their life with a further 1,500 to 2,000 people injured. And this earthquake caused structural damage to many buildings in the CBD. Many people in the suburbs lost their home. There was devastation all around. I visited Christchurch two years ago, and I walked past this monument, and there were empty seats, an empty chair for every life that was lost that day. As of today, the city was still being rebuilt. The earthquake shocked the whole community. It shocked the whole country. It shocked the world. Christchurch was a peaceful and a ripened city one day, and the next day with devastation. I think our lives can sometimes be like that. One day, we feel like we're Sydney. We're thriving, we're vibrant, we're safe, have a cosmopolitan city that has so much to offer have a bright future ahead. But the next day, you can turn to your Christchurch, desolate, catastrophe, hopeless, and despair. But the people in Christchurch, they didn't lose hope. They came together and they began to rebuild the city, to rebuild their community straight away. Today we look at Psalm 62. It was a psalm quite possibly written by David. At a time, was facing some very significant challenges. It is a psalm of trust and confidence. We will look at who God is and why He is a God that we can depend on. We will even look at how this psalm can encourage us even when we are at the lowest points of our lives. Now, by the time, going back to my pilot story, I have to add one in. Now, when a pilot was being trained, they have to attend ground school before they can fly an aircraft. They have to go to ground school. They have to learn all the theory. Um, the theory how to fly a plane, how the basic flying physics work, learn how to communicate with other pilots, uh, with the ground, uh, have to learn how to navigate, and what to do in emergency. They are tested over and over and over again. It's a very demanding test to make sure they've learned all the theory well, to make sure that they had got all the knowledge of flying. After that, they have to go through simulator to consolidate what they learned, so to make sure that they wouldn't stuff it up in the simulator, and they put what they learned into practice. And then they're tested over and over and over again. Only if they pass the simulator training can they fly on the actual thing. So you can have confidence that by the time you get on the plane, your pilots are well trained. 
Now, today, we'll see, look at David's life. He's like a pilot being trained. He's gone through ground school. He's gone through similar training. We'll see in this psalm if David can turn his head knowledge into action. But who is David? David was the youngest son of Jesse. David grew up. When he was growing up, he was a shepherd. Now, as a shepherd, it's a dangerous job back in Bible time. Um, shepherd's job is to lead the sheep, to lead them to where they can get food. And they're often they're under attack by robbers or by other animals. David was attacked by lions, by bears. But one thing David knew was the protection of God. This is what David said just before he faced the battle with Goliath. In 1 Samuel, he said this, The Lord who rescues me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David, growing up, he has a heart for God. He wholeheartedly followed God and trusted him. The reason God picked him as the next thing after Saul was because of his heart. Not because of his appearance, but his heart for God. It is in this context our psalm begins. Now, David already has the head knowledge that God is a great big God. Let's have a look how he describes God in verses 1 to 2. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. You see the confidence that David has on God. Truly, truly, truly my soul finds rest in God. Now, the rest is the prominent theme in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. If you go back to Exodus, going back when God's people were slaves in Egypt, when they cried to God, God heard their prayers, then God sent Moses and his brother Aaron to lead his people out of Egypt. Send the ten plagues, and then they crossed the Red Sea into the unknown. They went into the desert on their way to the promised land. Rest isn't just about taking a break. Rest is not just about taking a power lap. Rest is about the peace and the calm in knowing that only God can offer us by knowing Him. Can you imagine if you're one of the Israelites? You cross the Red Sea, you're now in the desert, wandering around, heading to the promised land. How will you feel? Maybe you feel that you may, maybe you're an adventurous type. You go on an adventure, exploring the desert, exploring the unknown. Maybe you're exhausted. After leaving Egypt, have an army chasing after you. Uncertain, not sure where you'll be going. Scared or petrified. Imagine you're the Israelites. None of the words on the screen, exhausted, uncertainty, petrified, will be calm to you. Yet Moses, their leader, urged them to be still. He said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Instead of fighting for the future and the safety, Moses urged them to do the complete opposite. Be still. Because God will fight for them. In the promised land where they're going to, they will find rest. They will find the security of knowing God and be in his presence. Now, how can David be so sure that he will find this rest in God? David can be sure 
because God is fully dependable. He's learned that God is fully dependable. God is his rock, his fortress, and his salvation. Imagine this. You go on a holiday. You're planning a holiday. Um, you want to go to the beach for the holiday. And you go on Airbnb website. You find out if there's any good deal on Airbnb um, next to the beach. And you find one. The price is good. Um, the house is good. Um, the host is a super host. Got a five-star review. Got lots of five-stars review. Um, and got great facility. And they're from throwing the meals for free. They cook you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Fantastic deal, right? Everything looks great. That is until you see the picture of the house. Now, this house, it doesn't instill confidence, does it? Uh, just by even by looking at it, I think we all feel we're worried for whoever lives in this house. And it looks like it could collapse anytime soon. If you get a king tide coming in or a big wave, the house could be gone. I wouldn't go anywhere near this house, let alone stay in it. But David describes God as his rock and fortress. God is like a last rock that is stable, that is solid, and everything that builds on it has a firm foundation. Not only that, God is also our fortress. Fortress is used for defense during wartime, and God is our fortress because He can be trusted to defend us when we're under attack. God is trustworthy. God is dependable. It's in Him alone we'll find salvation. It's in Him alone we'll never be shaken. So David learned all of this as growing up. He's like the pilot, he's going to ground school, he's done the simulator training. But the real question, the real question is, will David be able to remember his training when the time comes when he's really under attack, when push comes to shove? Let's have a look at verses 3 to 4 with me on the screen. David said, How long will you assault me? Will all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from a lofty place. They take delight in lines. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. David was in a fragile and a vulnerable position. It's like a tottering fence. The wind blows and the fence could collapse any time. David's like the fence. He got no strength left and he could be blown over any time now. David expressing his profound frustration, his disappointment, and his sadness. His enemy is relentless. They only have one goal, to topple him and to defeat him. It was a brutal and a cruel reality. David's gone through a lot in his life, even before he became king. Before David became king, King Saul was king. But King Saul didn't trust God. And so God said to Saul, you can't be king anymore. And David became the next king because of his heart. His heart, he loved God and followed him with all his heart. When King Saul found out David was going to be his replacement, he was trying to he pursued David, trying to kill him. David then fought Goliath on his own because no one in the army had the courage to do it. But David had. David had faith in God. And then there was a rebellion of Absalom. Absalom was the third son of David. Absalom, being David's son, he rebelled against his father and made himself king over his father David. David fled Jerusalem and went into exile. He was betrayed by his very own son. 
and his life was at great risk. His son, his own son, is trying to kill him. David didn't give up on God. He told Zadok the priest to bring the ark, the ark of covenant, back to Jerusalem. This is what David said. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and its dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. David was sorrowful. He was the king who had everything, but now he lost everything. One moment, David was like the city of Sydney, a vibrant, a thriving and growing, has a great future ahead. But the next moment, he became a Christchurch. Everything around him was crumbling. His life was destroyed the next day. And it wasn't just his physical safety in danger, but the betrayal of his son and people who trust. Verse 4, with their mouths they bless, but in their heart they curse. We come from different walks of life, and every Sunday we come together in the name of Jesus. Some of you might be like the city of Sydney at the moment. You're going through a good phase of life. Everything's going well. But for some of you, you could be like Christchurch. You're going through some very significant struggles and challenges in your life, maybe with your family, maybe your physical and mental health, maybe with money, with work, maybe with your school, education, maybe with your friends. Maybe you're going through a dark time like David was. But no matter where you are, Psalm 62 has his message for us. Having known God and loved him all his life, now will David turn his head knowledge into action? Will it, turn it, will it transfer to his heart? Have a look at verses 5 to 6 with me. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Did David remember his training and deliver in an emergency situation like a good pilot would? Yes, he did. Just in this picture, a few years ago, uh, a U.S. Airways plane was taking off New York LaGuardia Airport, and both engines were struck by birds, and both engines were out of power. The pilot was able to land the plane safely on the Hudson River. Not a single person lost their life that day. David also delivered. He learned about God, he chose him all his life. But when push comes to shove, he delivered. Remarkably, he did. When we find ourselves in a hopeless and a despair situation, it can be very difficult to trust him. Our head knows that we should, but our heart says the otherwise. David set us a good example. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean our lives will be easy. Look at the way David trusted God. He alone is our rock, our fortress, and our salvation. No matter where you are at your life, David has an encouragement for all of us here today in verses 7 to 8. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Hold out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. We have an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He's like this gigantic rock that offers us a strong foundation and one that we can fully rely on. 
God alone brings us salvation and honor. And God alone is the one we can depend on, we can find comfort in, and He is worthy of our trust. It can be very hard to trust Him, but when we accept that we, are, we don't have the power like God does, we don't have to control, we, don't, we can't control every situation. But calm begins the rest with knowing God. When we acknowledge that I'm powerless, that I can't control everything, that I'm needy, I don't have everything, that I'm dependent, it gives us a sense of calm because God is in control, because God is always there for us. Pour out our hearts to Him is like completely pouring out of a liquid with no reserve, nothing held back, have complete confidence in Him. Often spend a lot of time worrying about things that I have no control over. I become very anxious to the point where it becomes quite disabilitating. I want to be in control. I want to be in charge. But that's why I'm reminded that I need to cast all my worry, all my anxiety to God. I've done my bit. I've done my best. But I say, God, the rest is up to you. Psalm 46 always speaks to my heart. Be still and know that I am God. All of this is easier said than done. There are lots of things on our hearts and our mind today. And we want to be successful. Who doesn't? The thing is, how does our world define success? Our world looks up to people who are successful by worldly standard and look down on those who aren't. What does our world tell us? How do we be successful in our career? Where do I work? What company do I work for? What's my title? Am I working a dead-end job? Or what about education? Does my mark at school define who I am? Does my grade at uni define who I am? Do I tie my worth to my ATAR? Do I tie my worth to my degree? Does my love for my children define my demand? What about wealth? Our world tells us that to be financially successful, the minimum requirement these days is to at least own your home or at least pay your mortgage. Or, and also to have a diversified investment portfolio, maybe have an investment property or two, and some spare cash. These are just some of the ways our world measures success. But is that how God measures us? Does God judge us based on how, what marks we get at school? Does God judge us based on our job? This is this worldly treasure. This is absolutely not the way God judges us. Verse 9, Surely the no-born are but a breath, the high-born are but a line. If weigh on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. In God's eyes, our earthly status and treasure are but a breath and line. Our time here on earth is very short compared to eternity. It's fleeting. Nothing in this world lasts forever. Nothing in this world comes for eternity in heaven. So do not believe in lies and deception and do not use them to try to advance our status. Everything we have are given to us by God. Do not set our hearts on them. God wants us to take care of what we have. 
So those things are good things. So don't let them be everything of your life. Don't let them to be overtaken by who God is in your life. In verses 11 to 12, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. God is strong and God is loving. His grace and his power go together. If God has power but no grace, then it can be low trust because power can be abused. But there's only grace and no power. That doesn't make God who God is. God is all-powerful. He is full of grace. And because of that, we can rely on him. We can depend on him. And we know that he will always do what is right for his people. Verse 12 talks about rewards. God's righteous judgment it will be revealed when Jesus returns. Everybody will be judged. And those who trust him, they have eternal life. And those who don't, they will face his wrath and anger. Question is, what will you put your trust on? Will you trust God, who is our rock and fortress and refuge? Or will you trust your earthly treasure, which is sinking sand? Will you be the wise builder who builds his house on a rock, which is a strong foundation that can endure? One of the values for our church is to talk about to be enduring, to be an enduring Christian. We need to run this race until the very end. It's not just a 100-meter race, but one, it's like a marathon that goes for the rest of our life. We want to reach the finishing point together. We want to be an enduring Christian. Don't be the foolish builder who builds on sinking sand on our earthly treasure. There's nothing in our world will last forever. If you think, if you think here today, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, come and discover more about him. Come to the Jesus for the Curious course. Write down a Can Connect card, bring your question with you, and ask your question about Jesus on the night. God is our rock, he's our refuge and fortress. And God is fully dependable. It is in God alone we will find the ultimate rest. We don't need to face our worries, our anxiety, our problem in life alone. Hand them over to God. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke up on, take my yoke up on you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The peace and love that God offers us is in fellowship with him. It is not a lonely battle on your own. You have Jesus and you have his community of people, the brothers and the sisters in Christ. And the of our church is caring. We want to be people that care for one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we can support one another. We can rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. We can live with one another, to encourage one another, be listening ye, help and support one another, be a soldier to cry on. There will be times we don't know, we just can't pray. We've got no word coming out of our prayer. But we can pray for you, even if you can't. The Spirit will always intercede for us. One of the greatest things about fellowship with one another is the way we can support and encourage one another. Even if you're in a very dark place right now, 
the testimony of other Christians who have gone before us can encourage us and can tell us that it will get better. Jesus has gone before us. He was rejected, he was tortured, he was crucified. But he shows that even death can get better. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you that you are our rock, fortress, and refuge. We thank you that in you alone do we find rest and salvation. And Father, we pray for those who are struggling today. We pray that you will comfort them, and we pray that you will help us as a church to support and to encourage one another. Please help us to build our lives on a strong foundation that is your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, take out your Can Connect card. Uh, as I said before, if you'd like to receive